if, if you'd like to participate in the children's ministry, uh, Bible study, you can make your way out. That's for kids up to age nine. Did I get that right, Chad? Nine? Okay. Good morning. It is uh, a privilege to be with you. I'm really grateful to be here this morning. Uh, I, I know some of you, uh, but for those of you who I have not met yet, my name is Andy Atkinson, and um, I am from Birmingham, Alabama. That is now home. It's been home for a few years, and, um, and I'm so thankful for Venue Church. I'm thankful for uh, your consistent partnership in the gospel uh, with me and with Emmanuel Church. Uh, so a few years back, I moved to Birmingham uh, to be a part of planting a church. Uh, at that time, the name of that church was Renovate Church. On Easter of this year, our church and another church plant in the city merged together. So we got married, and out of that marriage came Emmanuel Church. And um, so now I'm one of the pastors of Emmanuel Church, and uh, the Lord has been really good to us. And so before we dive into the Word this morning, I just want to, uh, to share a, a few uh, just quick encouragements of how uh, your investment in us, your partnership with us in gospel ministry, we're seeing some, some fruit to that. So um, there's a man by the name of Robert who's come into our body. Robert is kind of like a day laborer that um, one of our members, Grayson, has been pouring into and, and working alongside of. And and uh, a couple weeks ago, Robert uh, came to know Jesus. The Lord uh, broke through Robert's heart, saved Robert. And so in two weeks, we're going to be baptizing Robert. Um, I want to also share with you about our gospel community. So you guys have these things called community groups. We do the same thing. We just flip the language around and call them gospel communities, but it's basically the same thing. And, um, and, and in the season that we're in with our gospel community, it's crazy. About a year ago, I met a woman named LaShawn. She was panhandling for money, uh, homeless, um, Invited LaShawn just to say, well, I, was, I was at a coffee shop doing a Bible study with a few guys. We were kind of getting our DNA groups. And do you guys have DNA groups? Yeah, so we were, we were doing DNA group and just invited LaShawn to sit down. And um, so through that relationship, uh, LaShawn is now a part of our gospel community. LaShawn now has a job. LaShawn's kids are now coming to our gospel community. LaShawn's uh, daughter's boyfriend is now coming to our gospel community. And LaShawn's Nephew is now coming to our gospel community. And so it's, our, our, our GC right now is a hot mess. It's just crazy. Um, but it's really cool. And, and so I, I just share just, I mean, those are just a few snapshots of what the Lord's doing uh, in our body. Um, and I just want you guys to know that, that the financial investment that you're making in us, and, and more than that, the, the prayer investment, just the partnership in the gospel, we're seeing the Lord do cool things. As you guys are seeing the Lord work in your midst, we're seeing the Lord work in our midst. And so um, I, I echo the words of the Apostle Paul when he says, um, from the first day until now, I thank God for our, our partnership, our koinonia, our fellowship in the gospel. That's how I feel about Venue Church. And so I just want you guys to know that, and, and I'm super honored to be here this morning and to get to to break open the word with you. I was toying with doing an Advent message. I'm gonna call an audible on that. I hope that's okay. Chad, we're gonna, we're gonna bunny hop over the birth of Christ this morning and get into the life and ministry of Christ. And so if you have your Bible, uh, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter nine. Matthew chapter nine. In, in verses 35 through 38 of Matthew chapter nine, we, we get uh, somewhat of a summary statement of Jesus's uh, ministry. Jesus' life. If we want to know what Jesus was doing with his life as he walked and breathed and lived on earth, uh, it's found in these verses. And it's interesting 
It's interesting, if you were to flip back a few chapters, I'm, don't do that, you can do it later, but if you, were flip, if you were to flip back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, you would find an identical verse to Matthew 9.35. The same verse, two different places in Matthew's gospel. It's like, did Matthew screw up here? Was there an editing mistake? And I, I don't think that's the case. I think what's going on here is um, these verses actually create, fancy word here, an inclusio. It's like bookends to the life and ministry of Jesus. So in 4.23, Matthew introduces us to a section of his gospel that's setting up the life and ministry of Jesus. And then in 9.35, he kind of puts the other book in place and says, so this, is kind of, this kind of encapsulates what Jesus was doing as he walked and did ministry along the way. So let's read it together, and then let's dive in for a few minutes together. Matthew 9, verse 35, it says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. The, these, this, the, these few verses right here really kind of encapsulate, they summarize the ministry of Jesus. And so these have become really important verses for me as we think at Emmanuel Church about what it means to be on mission, what it means to follow Jesus. These verses have become pretty central uh, uh, for us as we think through that. These verses tell us that that Jesus spent his time teaching and proclaiming and healing. And so if you you call yourself a Christian this morning, you say, yeah, I'm I'm a believer in Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, then you are called to follow Jesus in all of life. Isn't that what Jesus did with his disciples? He called them and he says, follow me, and I'm gonna make you fishers of men. I want you to follow me. We're gonna do life together, and I'm gonna show you what it means to be my disciple. And so the call of discipleship is a call to follow Jesus, to learn from him, and to begin this lifelong journey of, of living with Jesus and taking on kind of his attributes, his characteristics. We wanna be made into the image of Christ. And so at Emmanuel, we define discipleship as increasingly worshiping, obeying, and following Jesus. That's how we define discipleship. Or we say it this way. We say that discipleship is bringing every single aspect of our lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And these verses give us a, a helpful summary of what that would look like. Because they show us what Jesus himself did with his life. For those of you who aren't Christ followers this morning, you you haven't yet surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, or maybe you're unsure, then then I want you to know that this morning, these verses give you a really good glimpse at Jesus. If you want to know who Jesus is and what he was about, you get to see it this morning in these verses. And so my prayer is that you would see him in all of his beauty, and all of his magnitude, and that you would put your faith in him. And so I want us to look at four aspects of Jesus' ministry from these verses. And the first thing that I want us to see uh, regarding Jesus' ministry is the context of Jesus' ministry. And by context, what I mean is where Jesus' ministry happened. Look back at verse 35. It says, And Jesus went throughout 
all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus' mission, his ministry, took him to every village and every city. Early on, as I began to, to look at planting a church, I, I, I contacted a local missions agency in Birmingham to discuss what it would look like for me to move to the city of Birmingham and to plant a church. And, and I remember being asked this question by a church planting strategists. The question was this, who's your target demographic? Who are you going after? I, I've been asked the same question on several other occasions. It's stated different ways, but more or less they're getting at, what's, what's your target group? Who, who, are you, who, are you, who are you trying to reach? You going after the millennials? You going after the generation Y? Like, who's kind of... Who's your target demographic? And I, and I understand the question. Like, it's a natural question. Because in the business world, to start a new business, you have to have a business plan, a proposal. And so you have to do all of this demographic research. And, and, and then you have to put together a prospectus once you've done research. And you have to state in your prospectus who you're going after, who your target is. The average person that you anticipate buying your product. So from a business perspective, I get it. If you're selling a product, you need to think long and hard about who you're trying to market this product to, where those people live, and how you're going to get what you're trying to sell to them. But unfortunately, I think this has been adopted into the church. And and, and to be clear, Jesus is not a product that we're hustling, right? He's he's a Lord to be worshipped, and followed. And we're not concerned with getting Jesus just to a particular demographic of people, are we? Like we want to get Jesus to everybody. We want everybody to know and to love and to worship Jesus. We want everybody to know the joy that we have found in him. And so there's this concept called the homogeneous unit principle. Have you heard of this before? It's this idea that states that it's easier for people to come to Jesus when they're required to cross few or no racial, linguistic, or social barriers. It's, it's easier for folks to convert to Christianity when it does not require them to, to cross ethnic or social lines. And so this concept would argue that ideally new churches should be led by pastors whose class, whose skin color, whose culture closely match those of who they're trying to reach. I.e., churches should be planted in a way that people are reaching, the people they're reaching look like, talk like, smell like, eat like, and live near you. Now, here's the problem with this model it wasn't Jesus' model, right? What does it say here in the text? It says that Jesus went to every village and every city. And what we see in Jesus' ministry is that he was reaching all kinds of different people. I mean, as we read through the Gospels, We find Jesus associating with a Samaritan woman, a demoniac, a tax collector, Pharisees, a woman caught in adultery, a Gentile centurion, children, the cripple and the lame, lepers, and a Seraphonician woman. I mean, that's that's quite the motley crew there, right? I mean, Jesus clearly was not following the homogeneous unit principle. So when someone asks me, like, who's your target demographic, I'm like, Anyone I meet that doesn't know Jesus, like that, that's who we're trying to reach. 
I'm not going after a specific age demographic. In fact, like, we would love for more older people to come to our church. It would be fantastic. We need some wisdom in the house. Got a bunch of young families with babies popping out left and right. We need some old people. But ultimately, we want that because because Jesus' ministry was for every single type of person. He didn't limit his ministry to a particular class or to a particular village. In Mark's gospel, it tells us that at one point in Jesus' ministry, Peter comes to Jesus and, and they said to him, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus replies and he says, then, then let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And then it, it says he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And we read that as a result of Jesus' ministry, his fame spread throughout the whole district. Jesus' ministry was not confined to Capernaum or even to Galilee. It says in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus said that from Zacchaeus' house in Jericho. Jesus' ministry was, was to get to every village in Israel. And I would argue that the same Intention should be found in us, that our goal should be to spread the fame of Jesus to every village and every neighborhood in our city. I, I know Chad's heart, and I know his heart is to, to literally saturate Hattiesburg, Mississippi with the gospel. He wants to see the fame of Jesus spread into every neighborhood in your city. That's what we want for Emmanuel Church. We want to spread the name of Jesus. We want to saturate our city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the mission of the church is never to stay confined to one area. It's never simply to stay put. The mission is always to advance. It's always to go to another village and another town. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14 that they would do greater works even than he had done. Now, we could get lost in debating what exactly Jesus means by, by greater works. But one of the obvious implications of what Jesus meant there was that Jesus' work was primarily restricted to Israel. And Jesus is looking at his disciples and he says, when the Holy Spirit, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to do this greater work of advancing uh, the gospel to the nations. It's going to move out virally from beyond Israel to, to every single people group. Jesus would commission his disciples and he would say, go make more disciples. And, and he says, pontata ethne, to all nations, literally every people group. We read in Acts 1.8 that Jesus told the, his disciples that they would receive power from on high. They would receive the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It would be this, this resonating gospel movement. And our mission, like Jesus, is to go to every village and every city. This has been one of our convictions as a church from the very beginning. We didn't just want to be a church plant. You know, one of the things that I love about Vineyard Church is that you guys aren't just, you're, you're really beyond plant at this point, right? I mean, when do, you, when do you drop the plant language? I don't know. Somebody can answer that for me. That would be helpful. But you guys were never just about being a church plant. I mean, You've adopted unreached people groups. You've sent uh, brothers and sisters to other parts of the globe, other parts of the nation, and that's what it's about. We're not an end to ourselves. 
We're to constantly be sending out more laborers into the harvest. And so, you know, with, with Renovate Church, before we were Emmanuel, we had the opportunity very early on to raise up a brother and send him to northeast India in Nepal and Bhutan. And, and now we're partnered with an organization called the Haiti Collective where we get to pour into local churches in Haiti, a local church a pastor by the name of Michelle Toussaint who's pastoring in the Colos Desaline area of Haiti. And he is, he's doing a faithful work. And we get to come alongside of them and serve them as they try to make Jesus known in central Haiti. And as we think about our city, as we think about the city of Birmingham, we have, we have two collectives, two areas where we kind of have uh, some, some gospel communities going on. But, but we're looking at Birmingham and we're going, there are 1.1 million people in the greater metro area of Birmingham. Maybe you hear Birmingham and you go, man, that's such a religious city. There's so many, I mean, David Platt used to be in Birmingham, right? Church of Brook Hills, they've got all 1.1 million covered, right? no. Even in a city like Birmingham, three out of four people aren't in church on a given Sunday. Many who identify or affiliate with the church do so only in name. And the truth, the truth of, of, of the reality in Birmingham is probably very similar to Hattiesburg is there's a lot of nominal Christianity, like people who profess Christ. They say, oh yeah, I walked an aisle, I prayed a crowd, I did the deal, I'm religious, I'm, I'm a Christian. They're not following Jesus. Jesus isn't Lord over their life. They desperately need to know the real Jesus. Our vision statement at Emmanuel is that we want to be a diverse family of disciples living to make the real Jesus known to every person in Birmingham and beyond. We adopted that language of real Jesus because we found that there are a lot, there are a lot of fake Jesuses walking around. There are a lot of counterfeits. So we want to make the real Jesus known. We want to guard ourselves from complacency. We don't want to grow content in our mission. It's easy to get to a place of stability and kind of take a deep breath and go, ah, we've arrived. I mean, we're kind of doing it, man. We even kind of look like we halfway have it together at this point. I don't want to do that, do you? I don't want to get to a point where things seem good and we begin to to maintain, We, we relax because we've gained a little traction. I don't want to get inwardly focused where we just become about maintaining programs and we're just kind of doing the routine and we lose sight of the mission to go to every village and every city. What we see from this text is that if we grow complacent, it's because we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. Because if we're looking to Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith, if we're looking to Jesus as, as our model, as our example, we see that Jesus, his, his, his mission was, was to keep going to another town, to another village. So if, it, complacency is a failure to fix our eyes on Jesus. Look back to him. Jesus said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Missionary David Livingston famously said, anywhere provided it be forward. Oh, that that would be our our ministry cry. Lord, anywhere provided it be forward. You familiar with David Brainerd, New England missionary? Brainerd gave his life to seeing Native Americans become disciples of Jesus. And it wasn't without difficulty. He, he suffered from what many today think was tuberculosis. He also struggled in and out of depression, loneliness, at times hunger because of his commitment to following Jesus. And yet, listen to what Brainerd wrote. 
It says, there is nothing in the world worth living for but doing good and finishing God's work. Doing the work that Christ did. I see nothing else in the world that can yield any satisfaction besides living to God, pleasing him, and doing his whole will. The motivating ambition of of Brainerd's life was was finishing God's work, doing the work that Christ did. He realized that in this, his joy was found. That in this, true meaning, true significance, true true pleasure in life, that's where it's found. I just say to you this morning, if you're honest enough to say, man, that's just not my heart. I struggle to believe that. I'm just not there. I'm just not all in. Ask the Spirit to give you that heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you that heart. Here's the promise of the gospel. The Father delights to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. He delights to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Invite the Holy Spirit to invade your heart and to break your heart for the mission of Jesus. But notice with me not only the context of Jesus' ministry, let's look also at the content of his ministry. Verse 35 says that he went throughout all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus' message, according to Matthew, was the gospel of the kingdom. That word gospel means good news. Jesus, as he traveled from town to town, from village to village, he was proclaiming a message of good news everywhere he went. And Mark tells us that Jesus was proclaiming the gospel of God, saying this. He was saying, the time is fulfilled, And the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's upon you. Therefore, repent and believe the gospel. Jesus was proclaiming this message of of, of the time is fulfilled. The waiting is over. Isn't this the, the message of Advent? This is the message of the Christmas season that Israel had been waiting for a Messiah to come, a Savior to come rescue them out of all of their mess. And Jesus shows up and he says, hey, that time of waiting, it's gone. It's over. The time has been fulfilled. I am here. Good news. And he says, the kingdom of God is upon you. It's at hand. The king has come. The rescuer, the redeemer, the one who's going to make right all that was broken and lost by Adam's sin and the curse of the fall that came upon the world, the curse that you and I know all too well. The king is here to fix all that. And he says, and therefore everyone should repent and believe the gospel. They should turn from their sins, turn from from living for anything other than Jesus, turn for living for themselves, and believe this good news. Trust in, throw your life upon this announcement. Jesus was announcing the coming of the kingdom in the arrival of himself. He was saying, look no further than me. Your life messed up? Look to me. You need hope this morning? Look to me. That's what Jesus is saying. Calling people to believe in him. Declaring himself to be the rescuer in Israel's hope of redemption. This was Jesus' message. This was the message he was proclaiming from village to village, town to town. Later Jesus would say, for the Son of Man, that was his favorite reference way to refer to himself. He would say, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the king who came to rescue God's people, would do so by giving his own life up as a ransom. 
He would offer up his life as payment to rescue people out of their slavery to sin and death. What Jesus was revealing to people as he proclaimed this gospel was that their greatest need to be rescued was not from the Romans. It was from sin. The Israelites thought that that their biggest problem was that they were being held down and oppressed by the Romans. Jesus is going, no, you got a bigger problem. you got a bigger problem than the Romans. you got your own heart to deal with. That's your biggest problem. I've come to set you free from that. I've come to give you a new heart. I've come to buy you out of Satan's sin and death. I have come to impose my life to save yours. And so as we seek to fulfill the mission of Jesus, as we seek to be followers of Jesus, to be disciples of Jesus, this is the message we proclaim, that everyone is sick with sin, that we're all in need of a righteousness that we do not have in ourselves, and that the eternal Son of God came to give his life and in place of ours, he came to live the life we could not live. He came to die our death, and he rose again from the grave, giving us hope of new life, eternal life in him. Jesus came to be our substitute. He came to be our sacrifice. He came to be our savior, and it's through faith in him. It's through turning from ourselves and from our sin and from all of the mess that we carry with us and embracing Jesus that we are saved and made right with God. We're reconciled to God in Jesus Christ. And so we trust in Jesus, and we are counted as righteous. Our hearts are made new, and we can genuinely begin to live the life that we were intended to live, the life that Jesus is calling us to, a life of purpose and of hope and of joy. We can be citizens of a new kingdom, and we can love God with a pure heart. As we follow Jesus, this is the message we're taking everywhere with us. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, this is the message of first importance. But we notice that that Christ's ministry wasn't in word only. The ministry of Christ was in word and deed. Look back at the text with me. It says that he, he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom and he healed every disease and every affliction among the people. So I want you to notice with me, thirdly, the compassion of Jesus' ministry. Not only the content of his ministry, but the compassion of Jesus' ministry. As we we gaze upon Jesus' life, we find that Jesus was not simply a man with a message. He was a man full of mercy. Isn't that amazing? If that doesn't elicit an amen, I I don't know what will this morning. Can I get an amen? Lots of people have a message. The Pharisees had a message. Adolf Hitler had a message, right? Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi has a message, but Jesus has mercy. And unfortunately, even many who who claim the name of Christ, even many who, who put the Jesus jersey on, they say all the right things, they have the right message, but they only have a message and they lack the mercy of our Lord. And so their message falls on deaf ears because the people to whom they're speaking can't hear the word over the loud grumble of their empty stomachs or the deafening pain in their life. Jesus said of the Pharisees, they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, 
and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to even lift a finger to help them. Jesus' criticism of the religious leaders was that they talked a good talk, but they did not walk the walk. They could explicate the law, but they wouldn't even lift a pinky to relieve the burden of those suffering around them. The Pharisees lacked compassion. They had this this zealous commitment to properly interpret the law, but they failed to see that the sum of the law was to love God wholeheartedly and to love their neighbor as themselves. See, to walk this road of discipleship that we're being called to walk, it requires two legs. One leg is truth. We need the message of the gospel. We cannot compromise the message of the gospel. Jesus made it explicitly clear that he is the only way to the Father, that he is our only hope of salvation. We have to preach that. We have to stand on that truth. But the other leg is is mercy. It's the ministry of the gospel. And we cannot fulfill the ministry of Jesus if our lives are not marked by commitment to both words of truth and lives full of grace. Our church cannot and will not fulfill the mission of Christ if we lack his compassion. Notice what it says of Jesus in verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. These crowds were the everyday people. They were full of everyday problems. They were filled with struggles and trials, full of needs. And Jesus wasn't numb to the people's needs around him. It says when he, when he looked upon the crowds, when he, when he looked into their eyes, he was moved with compassion. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher from England, said that the entire ministry of Christ can be summed up in the one phrase, he was moved with compassion. When was the last time you were gripped with compassion? I will never forget being in Haiti in 2011 on a missions trip. And we were, we'd set up this kind of medical triage. We were doing this uh, makeshift medical clinic and basically giving everybody aspirin. And People were just piling through by the droves. And, you know, we're giving worm medications because a lot of these kids have worms and doing our best to diagnose basic issues. And this one mom came in with her son, about 18 months old. I mean, this child is so severely malnourished and had some type of neurological deficiency. So, like, the child's head at 18 months old, like, couldn't hold his head up, just, you know, just flopping, and this mom was desperate. Maybe, maybe we could do something. And unfortunately, unless the Lord intervened miraculously in that moment, there was, there was nothing we could do to help. Now up to this point, we had shuffled countless people through. But it, it, it was when I locked eyes with this mother. It was when I looked at this child It was just undone. Sorry. 
and I just had to, I had to peel away because I was doing what I'm doing right now. Just wishing for something that I could do. And for a brief moment, I shared in the heart of Jesus Christ for you and me. It says when he looked on the crowds, he was literally gripped, moved. His, his as it was stated earlier, his, it's like his guts were just gripped with compassion. I wonder if you have that heart of compassion. I wonder if you've been moved by the, the pain and the poverty in your city. I wonder if, if you're actually disturbed at all by the injustice and the systemic oppression that, that some of your peers face on a daily basis. Jesus was not numb to the pain. He was not numb to the injustice. He was gripped with compassion and he came to do something about it. He saw that the people were harassed. They were harassed by sin. They were harassed by the broken, empty offers of joy and peace outside of himself. They were harassed by these false gospels and these false teachers and by leaders taking advantage of them. They were aimless and they were wandering through life and they needed someone to care for them. They needed someone to love them and to show them the way to guide them. They needed a good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. As we think about our cities, I wonder how many of, in our city are under the tyranny of, of sin and addiction or being taken advantage of by a slumlord or by a domestic abuser or by a crooked family member. How many are being exploited by corrupt systems? How many are aimlessly searching for hope in all the wrong places or suffering from an illness or an incurable disease? And what these people need from us is not another Facebook debate. They don't need you to have all the right answers politically. They don't need you to heave cold gospel grenades at all their problems and tell them what's wrong with them. What they need is the compassion of Jesus Christ flowing out of you all over them. And let's not forget that we, we were the beggars. We were the debtors, and Jesus came to us, and he stepped up into all our mess, and he fed us the true bread from heaven. He gave his very body for us, and he quenched our thirst. He gave us his very blood to wash us clean. How could we not go and do likewise? And church, let's be clear. As we seek to show compassion to others, we are not the good shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. We are simply those who have been loved by him. We love because he first loved us. He is the rescuer. We are the rescued. And so let's live compassionately out of the compassion we have received. And this leads me to the last thing that we see in our text. We've seen the context of Jesus' ministry. We've seen the content of his ministry and the compassion. Look with me fourthly at the command of Jesus' ministry. Verse 37. Jesus gives his disciples here a manifesto. He says the harvest is plentiful, 
but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful. That is, there are lots of people out there ripe for the gospel. The only thing keeping them from entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ is hearing the good news proclaimed. But that's what's keeping them from hearing the gospel is that the laborers are few. Individuals can be ripe for the gospel, but unless someone preaches the gospel to them, they cannot be saved. Paul writes in Romans 10, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him? Whom they have not believed. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Jesus says in light of this reality, pray earnestly for the Lord to send out labors into the harvest. Pray for God to raise up more workers and to send them out to go teach, to proclaim, and to do the ministry and mercy of Jesus Christ. In the next chapter, Jesus does that. He, he, he tells the disciples to go and do what he's been doing. It's a foretaste of ministry to come, and it's a picture of what fellowship with Jesus looks like. To be a disciple of Jesus means that we're seeking to live like him. We can't reasonably call ourselves a disciple of Jesus if we're not patterning our lives after him. Isn't that what a disciple is? It's an apprentice. It's someone who's learning from a master. It's a learner. Jesus' life is a pattern for ours. He taught. He proclaimed. He administered mercy and love. It's what Jesus did. And it's as we live that life, Jesus says we should pray for God to raise up more, for more disciples to go and do the same. Do you pray for God to raise up an army of disciples to take the gospel to the unreached? The unreached in Hattiesburg, the unreached in Mississippi, the unreached in the South East, the unreached to the nations. Pray earnestly for workers. May God raise up an army from among us. May we be a people that seek the kingdom first. And may we advance Christ's kingdom as our first priority. Jesus said, he didn't just say seek the kingdom, he said seek it first. And may we say with David Livingston, anywhere, provided it be forward. And by God's grace, we'll reap a harvest. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that God, you, you're full of compassion. We must-